Um, so last week I had some really, really difficult conversations um, about how we can possibly know if anything about God is real or true. Um, and, you know, you can, you can look at Chloe's Instagram. Is Chloe in or is she way out? And she posted beautiful pictures of the sky, lockdown skies it was called. And they were beautiful, like even on Instagram, but we've all seen that. And you know there's something glorious about that. You know there's something that calls out something to you in that. And you can look in, inside yourself and you know, well, I have some kind of a conscience. And, you know, I can, we tend to have a feeling about things that are right and wrong. And where does that come from? And can we know? But those aren't sufficient. Those aren't enough. Um, and so the conversations turn to the Bible. The Bible is at the heart of how we can know things about God. And therefore, we read it all the time here. So if you're new here, if this is your first time here, you will hear a lot about the Bible. And if you come to MC and be part of an MC, you will, you will talk about the Bible a lot and ask questions. And you can hold, you can hold these words up to every single kind of question that anyone can come up with. And this will stand. So, but last week it occurred to me too that, like actually as Andrew led there, that it, it can't be this alone. Anybody can read this. But not everybody can hear this. So this on its own, this on its own without the power of God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, will make us into Pharisees and law keepers on its own. So we must... We must pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to drive these words into places in our souls that we have forgotten about. So, so I'm going to read this passage, and it is a hard passage. I'm going to read this, and, but before I do that, I'm going to just ask you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, that these words would come in new and fresh even frightening ways and ways that grab us and that we would be able to see and understand as we hear these and as we listen to Andrew and as we weigh up what we hear today, Lord, that you would be doing something new in our lives, in the lives of our church and in our city. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit, and you have given your spirit. So we ask, Holy Spirit, come. Come in power. And let us hear. Give us ears to hear, Lord, in ways that we have forgotten. And we pray this in Jesus' name, so that he would be glorified and honored and blessed and lifted up, and that we would find our right place. So we pray all this in his name. Amen. Okay, so this then, is it up on the wall? Okay, this is Luke 14, and we're going to go from 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he's enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other's yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rachel. Uh, it's kind of good that you definitely said what you said because uh, it's a pretty hard passage to hear, isn't it? Uh, let's talk about hating our family and stuff. Uh, we, we've been working our way through some of Jesus' parables, uh, looking at what, what they mean for us and, and looking about what Jesus is really teaching about his coming kingdom and all that kind of stuff. But, but I just want to give you kind of an overview of, of what's going to be happening over the next few weeks. Um, we've, we've got a few more weeks left in the parables and then we're going to, uh, towards the end of August, towards the middle end of August, we're going to uh, take three weeks and, and just look at uh, what makes us village. Um, so uh, our, our family traits, our DNA, um, that kind of stuff. We're going to be spending three weeks looking at gospel, community, and mission. These three things that we, our church is founded and built on. Um, and, and that's going to lead us into the autumn where we're going to start looking at the book of Hebrews. And we're going to do Hebrews uh, right until Advent, and then after Christmas, we're going to go in Hebrews right up till Easter, and then after Easter, we're going to spend even more time in Hebrews, so uh, it's just going to be like a, a deep dive into that. Um, over the next two Sundays, I'm not going to be here. Yes, can't wait. Um, <laughs> that's what, I don't care. I mean, I'm going on holidays. Uh, Nick, uh, so next Sunday, Nick's going to be here uh, teaching uh, one of our elders from Village East, and uh, he's going to be teaching, and Chad's going to lead us. And then the Sunday after that is that's going to be uh, basically Lucas and Sue. Uh, you probably most of you know this by now. Uh, Lucas and Sue, who planted Village, are leaving, and they're leaving on the 19th of August. They're moving to LA, uh, and so ne- uh, Sunday the 9th of August is go- he's going to come over here. They're going to come over here, um, and uh, Lucas is going to teach, and we're going to pray for them and send them off. Um, so uh, yeah, that's just what's coming up over the next few while, just to give you guys a head heads up. Um, so make sure that you're here. If you know Lucas and Sue, make sure you're here on the 9th of August so that we can, you can say goodbye to them and, and, and pray over them and all that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, things are a bit weird. I think they're leaving in situations they wouldn't want to be. Um, just can't even get like a big party going or something, but there we are. Uh, anyway, let's get back into this uh, passage today. Um, I was watching Grand Designs last night. I love Grand Designs. I think I've talked about it before. I love Grand Designs. Um, and there's two, two things that you notice about Grand Designs uh, every time you watch it. Um, well, three things. You, usually, it's a couple who are building the house. Everyone knows what Grand Designs is, right? It's, it's people who are building their dream house. And Kevin McLeod comes along and tells them how bad it is, and then at the end loves it. That's basically it. Um, but two things happen. Firstly, uh, the woman almost always gets pregnant in the middle of building a house. I don't know how or why that happens. No, I do know how that happens. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that is, walked in that one. And secondly, uh, it always goes over budget and over time. All, all, like almost always. I've n- I don't think I've ever seen a house that's finished on, on, on time or on budget. Um, and one of the worst ones, 
was this couple, they were building this like uh, eco-friendly house out of all natural materials, so like salvage wood and all this kind of stuff. And uh, they started off with 500 pounds in the bank, 500 quid to build a house, because um, they were going into the forest to cut down wood and all that kind of stuff. And then 10 years later, they still weren't finished the house. 10 years. Um, and, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. There's no judgment on that. But I often think to myself, and I always say to Haley, like, how do they not know? Surely you would know. You've watched Grand Designs. You know it's going to go over budget. So Mark's an engineer. He's looked at me. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't. Uh, but surely just plan an extra, whatever you think it's going to cost, add on an extra 50 grand because it's obviously going to cost you more. And if you think it's going to take you a year, it's going to take you two years. Just plan those things in. And, and they, they always kind of seem to fail to consider what it's really going to take to finish this project. And that's what Jesus is talking about today. He, he, he's trying to warn his disciples uh, of, of, of considering the cost of following him. That's the, the message of, of the passage that, that Rachel read for us. Um, and if we could sum up Jesus' teaching here in this passage in one sentence, it would be this. I think it's going to be on the screen. Consider what it will cost you to follow Jesus. Consider what it will cost you to follow Jesus. And I, I don't know if that's something that we... If we, we think about a lot, um, I think it's fair to say that this is probably one of Jesus' less well-known parables. Um, like we all know the, the, the prodigal son. If you've grown, been in church for any time, you've probably even heard of that term, even if you're not a Christian or never been to church. Um, we all know the sower and the seeds and all these kinds of things. But, uh, you know, who, who's heard of the, the parable of the, the, the tar builder or the warring king? These aren't really well-known parables. And I think that maybe one of the reasons they're not that well known is because the message that surrounds them, it's a tough thing to hear. Jesus, at this time, he's, he's making his way towards the disciple. This middle section of Luke's gospel is, is the story of Jesus kind of making his way towards Jerusalem where he knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be crucified. Um, essentially, uh, Jesus, at this period of his life, is on this long, slow walk towards death. Um, and so, Anyone who's following him, anyone who uh, uh, makes their allegiance with him is not in for an easy time. But it seems like the people don't know this because there are great crowds following him. These big, big crowds, he's, he's got a bit of a follower, like he's an influencer of the day, he really is. He's, he's gained popularity. Um, people are seeing him perform all these miracles and, and casting out demons and, and healing the sick and, and, and he's saying these incredible, wondrous things and, and people are like, this is great. I, I love this guy. And they're really starting to think, maybe he is the chosen one. Maybe, he is the, maybe this is the guy who's going to free us from the oppressive government of, of the Roman Empire. And at this point, they seem to think it's pretty easy to follow Jesus. There's a big crowd. There's lots of them. Jesus is doing all this cool stuff, doing miracles. And he's talking about this kingdom. It's like it almost feels like a, a revolution. And people are on board with it. They're like, yes, we love this Jesus guy. He's going to make everything okay for us. And Jesus, I think, at this point, realizes or, or, or decides that, that they need a reality check. They need, to, they need to, to, to kind of be snapped out of this a little bit. And I think if you were paying attention as Rachel read or you were following along, it's fair to say that, that Jesus does give them a reality check. Um, I think after what he says here, no one in this crowd would be under any illusion um, of just how costly it is to, to be one of his followers. They need to count the cost. They need to consider the cost of following Jesus. And, and here's my first point this morning. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to follow Jesus. And that got me thinking, 
Is that, is that our experience? <laughs> do we find it easy to follow Jesus? And, and I would suggest that if we do find it easy to follow Jesus, we need to, we maybe need to uh, ask ourselves some difficult questions. Because I think in Northern Ireland, you know, like just, it's pretty easy to be a Christian, right? It's pretty easy to live a Christian life and, and without having to give up too much, without having to, to do any cost counting at all. Um, we can live in a Christian bubble. Uh, we can have Christian friends, Christian family. We can read Christian books. We can be uh, immersed in, in, in the Christian music scene or, or whatever that means for you and, and never really have to give anything up. And so we need to ask ourselves, is that okay? Is that really the way that following Jesus is meant to be? Are we just like these crowds? We're all in this crowd and, and, and we don't really notice what's going on outside the crowd in the world around us. And I don't think that Northern Ireland or, or Belfast is is actually any different uh, than anywhere else in the world in terms of following Jesus. I just think it's easier to hide here. It's easier to hide. It's easy to look like a disciple. We can be part of a good church. Uh, We can uh, go to Bible studies. We can do all these things. We can immerse ourselves in this Christian culture and even fool ourselves that we are taking up our cross to follow Jesus, like he says here. So I want to ask, uh, I want to ask us to think about, well, what happens when that, that Christian bubble bursts? Or what happens when we step outside the bubble? And most of us manage to only do that. I, I, I'm a pastor, like my life has lived in a Christian bubble, if I'm quite honest. And so most of us only step out of that Christian bubble uh, for, for short periods of time, don't we? When we, when we go to work um, or, or, or we, or, or we uh, go to class or whatever it may be. And then we return to that Christian bubble nice and safe. And so we just kind of get our heads down throughout the day, not rock the boat, not say too much, don't make people notice us so we can get back to the safety of that Christian bubble. Because it's easy to follow Jesus when the sun's shining, isn't it? It's easy to follow Jesus when we're part of that crowd. But when Jesus got to Jerusalem at the end of this journey that Luke is describing for us here in, in his gospel, when he was, he was arrested, he was put on trial, and then he was killed, where were the crowds then? Uh, this crowd who welcomed him into, into Jerusalem, they were singing Hosanna, like, heal to the king. That's basically what they were saying. He's going to save us. And a few days later, they were shouting, crucify him. Even his closest friends, his 12 disciples, abandoned him. True discipleship is not an easy path. And it's actually a path, as we're going to see, that requires everything. Give up Everything. And this is why, Jesus says, we need to purposefully consider the cost of following him. Purposefully consider the cost of following him. Uh, a few years ago, Haley and I were in Rome, and uh, we were, there was another couple there, of friends of ours, that we were meeting for dinner. And uh, I, was, I, was tr- I don't know if I was trying to be the big man or if I was just trying to be kind. I'm not sure about my motives. But anyway, I said I'd pay for dinner, not realizing that in Rome you have to take out a mortgage to buy food. And... Um, so that was all fine, we just, and we just had some pizza and wine, that was a simple meal, and then the guy comes on with a bill, and I nearly fell off my chair, uh, I was like, well, that's our entire budget for this trip, gone. Um, uh, never, I was going to say something, uh, and, but I had jumped in and just said, I'm going to do this, but I hadn't actually considered, we, we don't have that much money, and, and this might cost you more than you think, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, in some ways that is, that, that's not the point, we should be sacrificially generous, but but my point is that I hadn't considered how much that would cost. 
I hadn't considered if I was willing to be sacrificially generous in that way. And this is the point Jesus is making when he gives these two illustrations. Firstly, there's this guy who decides to build a tower. Jesus says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus asks, Well, who's ever going to start building this tower without first sitting down to consider the cost? The answer is anyone who goes on grand designs, obviously, but that's not his point. His point is you, you wouldn't start a massive project like that without considering how long this is going to take and how much it's going to cost you. Um, building a tower in Jesus' time would have been fairly common. You would have put up a tower in your, in your fields to, to, to keep a lookout and make sure that no one was going to come and steal your crops or destroy them. You would store your tools in them. But the purpose of the tower isn't really Jesus' point. He's not really getting into that. The point Jesus is making is that this guy who decided to build the tower in the first place, he didn't count the cost. And then he got the foundations in and he realized I've got no money. And it becomes a source of shame for him. There's, a, there's, there's this patch where this tower was going to go and it's just a monument to his failure. He doesn't finish the task that he started and so he brings shame on himself. And then the other, the other example, the illustration that Jesus gives is this king, the king who, who goes to war or would go to war. And he says this, he says, what king going out to encounter another king in war would not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet the, him who comes against him with 20,000? So, so there's a, an, an army of 20,000 men coming towards the, to this king and he only has 10,000 men. He'd be really foolish if he just ran out in the battlefield, wouldn't he? Without deliberating over, can I win this war? Can I keep my people safe? How are all these 10,000 men of mine going to die if I just rush out and attack him? And so uh, he, when, the other one, when the other king and his army are far off, he, he sends an emissary and, and, and negotiates terms of peace. A sitter, essentially, he, he surrenders. Now, these two illustrations are, are saying somewhat the same point, but they are slightly different. The builder has a choice, doesn't he? He could have decided, I'm not even going to start building this tower in the first place because I, I just don't have the money. But that was his choice to do that. The, the, the king didn't necessarily have a choice. If someone invades you, that's not, he didn't decide that, to bring that on himself. And, and I think that Jesus is trying to highlight the need to consider the cost uh, before we even become his disciples. And then with the example of the king, uh, considering the cost along the way as, as situations arise. But either way, the cost has to be considered. The tower builder fails to sit down and count the cost. The king has to sit down and deliberate. There's a purposefulness to this. There's a, there's a, a, a deli he's deliberate. They are deliberate. They have to be deliberate in counting the cost. And so let me ask you this. I think this is what Jesus is getting to our hearts this morning. Have you ever considered what it will cost you to follow Jesus? Have you ever sat down at like this? I mean, Jesus says that both times. Sit down. There's a purposefulness. Have you ever sat down and thought about the cost of what it really means to follow Jesus? And have you ever asked yourself, what am I prepared to give up in the course of following Jesus through this life? It needs deliberate consideration. And I think it starts with being aware that there is a cost to being his disciple. 
following Jesus will cost you something. Um, and so we need to deliberately take stock of our life and, and, and prayerfully just ask God to, to, to help us be prepared to put all the things that we hold there in second place to him. It's about just abiding with Jesus daily so that our affections are, are poured out in him. It, it's talking to him in the small things and the, the, the hundred small decisions you make every single day so that we train ourselves to, to naturally just put him first. So that when the big things come, we, it's the same reaction. We put him first. We need to practice putting Jesus first. And we're not really a, um, really a sit-down-and-consider generation, are we? Like, we're not, I mean, I know there's a few different generations here, and I'm not just trying to say that to make myself sound younger. Um, I'm aware that I am just a millennial. <laughs> um, but we're not really, even, we've, we're, we're very reactive. We're very reactive people, aren't we? We just react to whatever's put in front of us. And most of the time we, we put in front of ourselves is, is, is junk from our phone screen that just rots our brain, right? And so we need, to, to, we need to actually train ourselves to sit down and consider these things, to practice putting Jesus first. And here's the thing. If we don't practice that, if we don't train ourselves when we have time to consider it, it won't just automatically come when we find ourselves in a hard time, or even we find ourselves being persecuted for our faith. And we all just kind of think, you know, well, if I ever find myself in a position where I have to take a stand for Jesus, yeah, of course I could do that. But could you? I mean, if you're not doing it in the way that you think about your bank account, then what makes you think you would do it in the face of your life or safety being threatened? We must consciously and deliberately consider what it may cost us to be Jesus' disciples. Are we willing to follow him, even if it costs us everything? And maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to consider the cost. Like, how, how will I know what is going to be asked of me to give up? Well, luckily, Jesus tells us. And the short way of putting it is this. The cost of following Jesus is great. That's it. The cost of following Jesus is great. It's that simple. There is a high price to pay. Jesus says three times in this, he uses this phrase, cannot be my disciple. And I think he's, he's trying to show us three different things. Um, but it's quite shocking that Jesus would even say, you can't be my disciple. Like we, We've just made Christianity so easy and so attractive, and it is attractive, uh, but it's not always easy. I look at people even in this room, and I'm like, you guys give up a lot to, to follow Jesus. And is Jesus saying, well, some people can't be my disciples? And the answer is yes, if you're not willing to give some things up. See, I think in our world of comfortable Christianity, we've, we've fooled ourselves into thinking that, that to follow Jesus doesn't involve any sacrifice. We've fooled ourselves into thinking that um, it's possible to accept Jesus and call ourselves a Christian um, but for nothing in our lives to change. We, we just want enough Jesus for us to be okay. Jesus, I just want enough of you in my life so that I can go to sleep at night and, and know that someday when I die that, you know, I'll be okay. That's all I want. I don't want you to actually influence my life. I don't want you to make me have to make any hard decisions. I don't want to have to give ever, anything up. We just want to follow Jesus and, and still have nice, safe, comfortable lives. The church, we've made the church I include myself in this. We made the church like this safe and easy kind of social club where we see our friends and everyone is, is kind of the same. 
rather than seeing the church for what it is. It's, it's a movement of people on mission sacrificing sacrifice themselves for the gospel. That's what the church is. We've made it too easy. We're the, like, we're the crowds in this parable. We're the crowds in this passage. And if we look through history, we see that the church has never been safe. Following Jesus has never been easy. Go go, go to Christians in the early Roman Empire and ask them if it's easy to follow Jesus. Go to Christians in Nazi Germany and ask them if it's easy to follow Jesus. In fact, go to Christians today in South Korea, North Korea, in Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Libya, in Pakistan, in Eritrea, Egypt, Iran, India, and ask them. You know what that is? That's the top 10 countries in the world where Christians are most likely, likely to be persecuted. Ask them the cost of being a Christian. And, th- and they'll tell you, they'll say, oh, you're my brother and sister. Uh, yep, well, following Jesus cost me my family. It cost me my home. It cost me my job. It cost me my freedom. And, and I know that it may very well cost me my life. And Jesus says here in this passage, we need to be willing to give up the people we love, give up our lives, give up our possessions in order to be his disciples. It's not an exhaustive list, um, but in these three things, I think Jesus is basically saying, everyone you love, everything you own, and even your very life must be less important to you than me. I mean, it's, it's real talk, isn't it? This is, this is, I mean, I wasn't looking forward to saying this this morning, but, but I can't imagine Jesus' followers were exactly thrilled when he said it to them either. It's real. It's, he's putting his cards on the table. He's saying, hey, you think it's easy to follow me just because you're part of a big crowd? Anyone can follow the crowd. But to really be my disciple requires more than just following a crowd. And the first thing he talks about is relationships. And, and maybe the most shocking of all the, the, the statements he makes here, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It's supposed to shock us. But I just want to clarify what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't mean that in order to be a disciple that you actually have to hate your family. Um, we, we know that Jesus tells others to, to honor their father and mother. He, he's excited to have little kids come to, to him. Uh, later on in the, in the, uh, in the, in the uh, New Testament, Paul says that, you, you know, to husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's not saying hate your family in the way we think of the word hate. It's not, that word hate in in the original language doesn't always mean hate the way we think of it. It means more like uh, to choose or not to choose. Um, It's about loyalty and commitment. Where does your commitment really lie? It means to prefer one over the other, to choose one over the other, to put one first over the other. And what Jesus is saying is that, that our love for him should be even greater than the love we have for the people who are most important to us in our lives. Think about that. Think about the, the people or the person you love most in the world. And Jesus is saying, listen, your, your love for me needs to be greater than that. Jesus has to have complete priority. He has to have the greatest value. And, and I was thinking about this, and, and one of the, I mean, there were so many, as I was studying this this week, there were so many challenges for me that I actually feel a bit ashamed to be up here teaching you guys. But that's what, that's what God has put me, so here we go. Um, we worship our kids in this society, don't we? We worship our kids. Um, People say family is everything. 
Um, we get married and we move into a house and we make that house our castle. It's our place of safety and security and we only let people in when it looks a certain way and, and at certain times uh, and we only let them into a certain few rooms. And then we bring our kids into that house and for the next 20 years, it's, everything is just about our kids. The direction of a family is, is just dictated by their comfort and happiness and security. And so where we go on holidays, how we spend our money, uh, where we live, and probably even more crucially, how we spend our time is dictated by our kids. Now listen, I love my kids and I would die for them in a heartbeat. Um, I really would. And Jesus is not saying, don't love your kids well or don't care for your parents when they're old. Those are good things that, that I, I argue that the Bible commands us to do. We should do. But the point that Jesus is making is that the proper way to love the people you love is to, to love Jesus more. That's going to make you better at loving those people. You'll be a better husband if you love Jesus more than your wife. You'll be a better wife if you love Jesus more than your husband. You'll be a better parent if you love Jesus more than your children. The best lovers of people are the best lovers of God. And he, Jesus mentions this bit at the end of salt that we're going to come back to. He says, it's just like, you know, salt, it draws out the flavor, intensifies flavors in our food. And, and so the, the salt of being a follower of Jesus, the saltiness of that makes our human relationships taste even better. Properly ordered relationships where Jesus comes first makes, makes these human relationships even better. But Jesus is asking us to, to count the cost. Consider it. It's so easy to love your family and your friends more than you love God. And if you're not sure whether or not you do that, well, A, you probably do, because we all do. And, and B, uh, just think about how much time and effort you give them and how much you give to God. Where does your heart really lie? Uh, lots of people in our church are about to get married. I'm not going to look at anyone in particular. I'm just saying, uh, Josh and Rebecca are getting married tomorrow, so... Uh, no, I'm not, I said I wasn't going to pick anyone out, but anyway. But, but this is for all the married people as well. But let me ask, how are you going to shape your life together? Um, before, I, before me and Haley got married, um, one, of our, one, one of my friends said to me that they'd, they'd be married a couple of years. And, 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 you know, he said that basically they tried to live their lives, let their marriage be married together in a way that allows them to love other people more. Isn't that amazing? And so the challenge for the people who are about to get married and us who are married, is your life going to be consumed by each other? Or are you going to use that gift of marriage as a platform to love and serve other people better? It's easy to worship marriage and have discipleship of Jesus kind of as our add-on. And for most of us, following Jesus won't mean that we have to give up our families but even if it doesn't, we still need to prioritize Jesus over them. And some of us do know what it's like to lose relationships because of following Jesus. People in this church who have lost friends because they decided to follow Jesus. There's people in our church who, whose family relationships have never been the same since they decided to follow Jesus. Jesus is cutting right to our hearts here. But he doesn't stop with our relationships. The next thing he says in, in, in verse 27, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's talking about giving up our lives. Now, 
You, how many times have we heard the idea of like taking up our cross, bearing our cross? It, we trivialized it massively, right? You know, like you just hear people say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's my cross to bear and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but we've become so used to this image of a cross that we were completely desensitized to it. But for, for Jesus' audience, especially an audience occupied by the Roman Empire, this would have been totally insane, shocking. Remember, Jesus hasn't even been crucified yet, but there are hundreds of people in Israel who have been under the occupation of the Romans. The cross was an instrument of torture and, and execution. Jesus, it's like Jesus saying, I was trying to think of it, it's like Jesus saying, hey, instead of, instead of wearing a cross around your neck, like wear a noose around your neck. That's what he's saying. He's saying, take up your electric chair and follow me. When a criminal was sentenced to crucifixion, you'll know this if you know the story of Jesus, they had to carry their cross, their own cross, to the place where uh, they were going to be executed. And the only reason for that is it was not really to increase their suffering. It was to heap shame on them. They have to walk through the streets carrying this cross. And everyone sees them knowing that they were a murderer or a criminal and, and that they were a, a dead person walking. And that's what Jesus said to us. Jesus says, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you need to carry your cross just like I did or just like I'm about to do. Jesus requires us to die. Now, most Christians in history haven't physically died because of their faith. There have been many, 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 many Christians, our brothers and sisters who have, and some still do. Today, eight Christians will die because they say they love Jesus more than anything else. Eight of your brothers and sisters will die today because they love Jesus. And if it comes to it, we need to be willing to lay down our lives in that way too. But, but, but for, for most of us, it won't require laying our lives down in that way. It might, but it probably won't. But, but whether or not we physically die for Jesus, the, the command to bear a cross is for all disciples. We must all die for Jesus. We have to give up our lives. Earlier on in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is saying the same thing, and he, and he says that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. He says here, he says, take up your cross, bear your cross, and come after me. This is an ongoing thing. In fact, even the I mean, not to get too nerdy, but even in the, 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 the tense in, in the Greek that's written, and is this ongoing tense. It's not just a die once. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, almost like a walk, you're walking your cross through the streets. That's what he's saying. It's an ongoing, continual dying to ourselves. Jesus says, bear your cross and come after me in this journey of self-denial. Followers of Jesus, I have to tell you, is a continual journey of dying to yourself. What a, what a cheery Sunday morning. And so let me challenge you with this. Jesus is asking you to deny yourself, to give up your life, to put your own ambitions aside. And are you willing? That's what he's asking. Are you willing for your life to not pan out the way you wanted it to or thought it would? Are you willing to take a job that means you earn less money? Are, are you willing to surrender all your plans to Jesus? Uh, I heard a joke this week, and I, I don't know if it's a reverend to say it or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, basically, how do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans. And that's, and that, 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 I mean, 2020 has proved that, hasn't it? Like, nothing is certain. And, and are we willing to go on this journey of death ourselves? Are we willing to just perpetually die to ourselves? Um, the Apostle Paul, uh, he knew a lot about this. Like, I mean, suffered so much 
uh, for, for Jesus and eventually was killed because he loved Jesus. And in Philippians, he writes this letter when he's in prison for Jesus to the church in Philippi. And he says this in chapter 3, he says that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings. He actually desires to share in the sufferings of Jesus and to become like him in his death. The life of following Jesus is not an easy life. Something to be desired. There's something, there's something to be desired in giving up our, our, our lives for Jesus. Nobody who has ever said, I'm committing to follow Jesus, has ever had an easy life. I don't know one true disciple of Jesus that's ever gone, well, this is pretty plain sailing. You might get arrested for taking a stand against racial injustice. I say good. You might lose credibility for standing up for the rights of unborn children. I say good. You might get looked down upon by so-called Christians for, for, for bringing your, your gay friend to stay with you when their parents kick them out. I say good. Church, we don't just put our lives in the line. We need to realize that our lives are no longer our own. And so we need to live in such a way that the other people are, are far more precious to us than ourselves. Because when it comes down to it, we've already died already. We've died with Christ. And it's not an easy life, but it is a good life. And the third thing then that Jesus says is he talks about money and possessions. I mean, talking about hitting us where it hurts. Uh, this is what he says right at the end of verse 33. He says, Therefore, if any one of you who does, any one of you who does not renounce all that, they, all that he has cannot be my disciple... I mean, this is really getting to our hearts, isn't it? Um, we love stuff. Like, think about all the stuff you ordered online on lockdown, right? Oh, yes, the Amazon man's coming today. I mean, that's, like, I was literally like, oh, package, great, what is it today? Um, cleaning stuff, ah, oh, boring, oh, well, hopefully something good will come tomorrow. But we love stuff. We, we even idolize the stuff that we don't have yet and we want to have. You know, they tell you I'm online every night looking at, at bikes. Oh, yeah, great, that one, oh, I'm going to save up that one. It's going to be great. It won't change my life. And Jesus is going right after our hearts. And he's saying, hey, what has the affections of your heart? Is it stuff? Is it money? Because disciples of Jesus can't have attachment to material things. And we need to renounce all that we have. What does that mean? It means that we need to let go of those things. We need to say goodbye to those things. Uh, the message translation of the Bible, uh, it kind of puts the Bible in everyday language. And, and it says this, it says, that same verse says, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. I love that. Just kiss it goodbye. That's what renounce means. Now, please don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with owning things. But there's a big difference between owning your things and letting your things own you. Are you willing to give up your comforts to serve others? Are you willing to use your home as a refuge for those in need, as a place of hospitality and welcome? Are you ready to give money away to serve others? Are you willing to spend more money shopping responsibly and ethically? Are you willing to, to give to the church even when you don't feel like you have very much money? This will be the main test for us, by the way in where we live right now, right here, what we do with our money. And like I said, uh, I almost feel like a hypocrite because when I was, sitting, I was sitting on Friday and I was preparing this, and I just like Jesus said to me, hey, you need to hear this, mate. Like, you're going to preach this, but you need to hear what you're saying. And so I want to challenge us 
with this, if we're not generous with our money, we can't call ourselves disciples. That's what Jesus says here. If we're not generous with our possessions, we can't call ourselves disciples. And so in all these areas, relationships, our lives, our money and possessions, we need to give them up to follow Jesus. The cost of following Jesus is high. And so I want to finish with this. The cost of following Jesus is great, but the cost of not following him is even greater. Jesus finishes this wee section here talking about salt. I'll just read it again so it's in our our minds. He says, uh, salt is good. Salt is good. There we go. Uh, but, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus saying, do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying here? You guys think it's so easy to follow me? Do you hear what I'm actually saying? I want you to give up your lives. And he talks about salt. Salt back in those days was really expensive. It was really valuable for lots of stuff. It was used to fertilize the ground to make plants grow. Uh, primarily, it was used in, in preserving food, like meat and food. You wouldn't have fridges, obviously. Um, and it was really, really important. But after a while, the salt would be mixed with impurities and it would be contaminated. And, and so it was just worthless. You couldn't even use it for, for manure. It wouldn't even work as fertilizing the plants. And so the only thing to be done at that point is just throw it away. And this is the message that Jesus has given us. When we aren't prepared to, to put him above our relationships, above our possessions, and even our lives, we're about as much use to the kingdom as salt that gets thrown in the road. If we don't give up our lives for Jesus, what use are we in the kingdom of God? And the cost of, uh, the cost of, 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 of not following him is, is far greater than any cost of following him. Because the cost of, of not following Jesus is that we can't be his disciples. That we can't, we can't follow him into the kingdom. The alternative to life of following Jesus is, is an eternity away from him. And so when we consider the cost of following Jesus, we need to think about this. Is this something I'm willing to do? Am I, am I actually willing to give up these things temporarily now in this life? Because I know that the alternative is an eternity outside of him. Yes, we might lose some friends. And that's going to hurt, believe me. And you might lose some family. And yes, it might mean that you become poor. And yes, it might even mean that you die. But, but what's the alternative? A short temporary life on earth with, with lots of friends and family around you or a, an eternity of loneliness? A short temporary life on earth having money and lots of stuff and comfort compared to an eternity of having nothing? Or a short temporary life, maybe you live till you're 100 compared to an eternity of death? Or give up everything in the service of our King, in the service of Jesus, for an eternity of of perfect and full relationships with God Himself and with His family, an eternity of living and with full satisfaction, all our needs being met in the new creation, in the new earth, an eternity of life in all its fullest. Uh, I was just chatting with... uh, uh, John, uh, one of the elders from Village East this week, and we talked about this passage, and, and uh, don't tell him I said this, uh, but sometimes he says really wise things. Um, 
He's my best friend, so I can say that. Uh, sometimes he says really wise things. He's much smarter than me, but don't tell him I said that. Um, he, he just said, uh, the cost of following Jesus is, an, is a temporary hardship, but the cost of not following him is an eternal one. And that really summed it up for me. This is what it means to consider the cost. This is what Jesus is trying to get these people to consider. We are the crowds. We may feel like it's easy. And Jesus said, listen, really hear me. If you have ears, listen to what I'm saying. Consider the cross, the cost. And, and the amazing thing about all of this, and I'm, and I'm done with this, Jesus doesn't demand something of us that, that, that he hasn't already done himself. Um, however great the cost we think we have to pay to follow Jesus, Jesus has paid a far greater cost. Am I right? Jesus gave up perfect relationship with God. Eternal relationship. Like you think that what you have with your best friend or, or with your, or, or with your, your, your partner is, is the perfect relationship. It's not. Like Jesus was in perfect relationship. No matter how much you think you love that person, Jesus was in perfect relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship. Perfectly fulfilling and satisfying each other. Perfectly being other centered towards each other. Perfectly loving each other. And he gave that up. The Bible tells us that he didn't think that, that being God was something he should just cling on to. The Bible tells us that Jesus willingly gave that up for us. He gave up wealth and riches of heaven. He even gave up his life so that we could have true wealth and true relationship and true life. And so no matter how high the cost we may be asked to pay, it's temporary and it's nothing compared to the cost he has paid, and nothing compared to what we will be repaid when his kingdom comes. Jesus uh, gave up everything. He didn't try to cling to anything. He sacrificed it all for our good. And it's that example that we want to follow. We want to follow that so that we can serve others better, so that we can share this amazing news, so we can love people well, and we know that, that this life of sacrifice leads to eternal glory, right? That we, we, Jesus walked this path on earth of, of suffering that leads to glory. And that's our path too. This is what he invites us into. And so even as we live like obediently, just obeying him, we don't try to do it on our own. We look to Jesus and we know that he's gone through this, right? And that gives us hope and encouragement. It gives us endurance, and we know that, that Jesus has done it and he will keep his promises to us. We, we know that whatever we sacrifice in this life will just seem like rubbish in his kingdom. And when that day comes, we'll be so glad that we give up everything. So let me finish by saying this. Let's consider uh, what it will cost us to follow Jesus. I wish that we were able to take communion together this morning to see, the, that, see and smell and taste what it cost Jesus. The, 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 the bread, I'm just taunting myself now, the bread broken like his body was broken and his, his wine visually showing us his blood that was spilled. But let's consider what it will cost us to follow Jesus. And then let's be glad to just give it up. Because the alternative is, is death. But this is actually the road to true life, everlasting life, eternal life. Um, let's pray.